All right, good morning, Central Church. Great to see you this morning. If you're a new attender, regularly, uh, re- uh, relatively new to Central, welcome. If you're a regular attender, it's great to have you this morning. If you're watching us online this morning, whether that's our Facebook Live page or our website, uh, or out in the concourse on the, on the couches and chairs, man, God bless you. We're glad you're joining us this morning. We are in the middle of a series called When. It's a study in the book of Psalms. It's called When because each individual psalm teaches us what to do when we encounter certain situations in life. And we're going to look at Psalm 103 this morning. If you have a Bible, open to Psalm 103. Psalm 103 teaches us what to do when we don't feel like praising God. What to do when we don't feel like praising God. Let's pray. God, even as I just said that, there are people sitting here or watching online that are in circumstances that are robbing them of joy, robbing them of a desire to be thankful or grateful or to praise you. Uh, Lord, I I pray this morning as we look at uh, this psalm that you would open our hearts, open our minds. Give us a fresh perspective today, Lord, on your truth. Uh, Help us to understand the, uh, the place of praise in the life of the Christian, what that means for us. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. You ever just not feel like praising God? Like, like what is it in your life that sort of dries up the praise spout that makes you so you don't feel like praising him? Uh, I have those feelings regularly. Uh, one of the things that, that makes it hard for me to praise God is when my highly educated, uh, strategically developed plans uh, get messed with. I don't know if you're like that or not, but when, when, I, when I have a plan and I've got a course and then things just screw it up, like that really, that really frustrates me. Um, so I'm training for this half marathon. It's coming up June 5th. And I had a couple of injuries early on that really postponed my training and really shorten the window of time that I had to, to sort of prepare for that. And that just frustrates me. It's hard for me in the midst of injury or setback to feel like praising God in those moments. And then there was the weather. Uh, the weather that, can, can I just say, because we're family, right? Can I just say that wind is stupid? <laughs> can we agree? <clears throat> it's just dumb. Now I know, <clears throat> I know there's a redemptive purpose for wind. I've talked to God about it. There, there is a redemptive pur- So when, <clears throat> when the clouds form over the oceans and the lakes and they, they, they absorb water from evaporation, they get filled. The wind blows them over the land so that the whole earth gets watered. I get that, and I've talked to God about that. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is six consecutive weeks of 30-mile-an-hour winds. That's stupid, Right? <laughs> And God could change that in a minute and doesn't. That, that frustrates me when my desire for what makes life good isn't God's desire for what makes life good. You know, the other thing that, that makes it hard for me to praise God is just, just where our nation is heading, like where, where we're going. Now, things weren't perfect 50 years ago, I get that, but they were sure different. And when I, when I just experience what I think are just knucklehead decisions, like, like lay, your, lay your Christian worldview aside for a second. Is there, is there one shred of common sense anymore, like in some of the decisions that we make? And so when I see where we're going, I see where we've been, and I, I experience some of these, it's just, my heart isn't in a place of praise. 
What makes it hard for you to praise God in your life? Like constantly bearing the weight and responsibility of being a single parent? Losing people that you love? Losing certain battles in life? Not having the money that you'd like to do the things that that you'd like to do? Maybe just being single, period, makes it difficult for you to be thankful or to praise the Lord. I I don't know what it is today, but, but King David didn't always feel like praising God. Yeah, yeah, that David, the, the David that wrote more than half of the Psalms, the, the David that, that wrote about praising God like all the time, that, that David didn't want to praise God all the time. And as you read through the Psalms, you get an understanding of that. David had extremely high points in his life and David had really low points in his life as well. Some of the high points, remember David killed Goliath. Like what a monumental moment in life. What an incredible place. And because of that, he was made the captain of Saul's army. And when David went out, the favor of God was with him. And he had victory after victory after victory and became the most popular king in Israel's history. Like that's a pretty big deal. That's a a nice place to be in life. David also got to bring the Ark of the Covenant, (coughs) excuse me, which represented God's presence. He he brought that from when the Philistines had captured it. David brought it back and took it into Jerusalem and set up the tabernacle of David, the place of worship. I mean, David had these incredible high points in his life and reasons to praise God. I'm sure those days he felt like praising God. And then there were the low days in David's life. David was told by the prophet Samuel that he would be the next king of Israel. That took 15 years, 10 of those years. David was being chased by the current king, Saul, through the wilderness as a fugitive, as a criminal, shamed continually publicly by King Saul. That was a low point, 10 years in David's life. When David became the king, he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And then in order to cover it up, he killed a man named Uriah, who was one of his best friends. Uriah was one of David's mighty men in the military. And David had him killed in order to cover up his sin. As a result of David's sinful decisions, two of his sons died. David understood heartache. David understood grief. David understood shame. David understood public scorn. David had high days. And David had low days. And yet it's David who understood that, that he was supposed to, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> praise, <clears throat> praise God continually. So Psalm 34.1, David says, I will bless the Lord at what? All times. His praise shall, say it again, continually be in my mouth. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Psalm 146.2 says, I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. In other words, all the time. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to praise him. Now, now, Psalm 103 is a psalm that was written really late in David's life. Scholars believe that he's looking back on his life and considering a life of highs and a life of lows. Psalm Psalm 103 is a a powerful psalm. How how is it possible to to praise God all the time? I don't like people that, that, that like are always, you know, praise God. 
How are you doing today? Oh, praise the Lord. Good. I'm blessed. Blessed beyond what I deserve. I'm blessed from the top of my head, the soles of my feet. Praise God. I'm good. How are you, Jeff? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, Jeff. I hate that guy. I think, I think it's like fake or something. Maybe it's not. But how is it possible to always praise the Lord? That's why David wrote Psalm 103. He wrote Psalm 103 to teach us how we can praise God in our highs and how we can praise God in our lows. Psalm 103, I hope you read it with me. We're only going to read a number of verses this morning. Beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 103, David says, Let everything that I am, all that is in me, praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that God does for me. And then he lists them. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death, destruction. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth, he renews like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. Skip down to verse 10. He doesn't punish us for all of our sins. He doesn't deal harshly with us like we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. It's, it can't be measured. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The east and the west never touch. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Skip down to verse 17. But the love of the Lord remains forever for those who fear him. His salvation extends to children's children, of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne, and from there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he created, everything in all of his kingdom. And then David ends as he began, let all that I am praise the Lord. What does Psalm 103 teach us about praising God? Three quick thoughts about that. The first is this, praise is a choice. Praise is a choice. So David begins this psalm by saying this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and everything that I am. What is David doing? David is commanding his soul to praise God. David is commanding his entire being, spirit, soul, body, to, to praise God. Why does David have to do that? Why does David have to command himself to praise the Lord? Because at that moment in time, he probably didn't feel like it. At that moment in time, he didn't want to. At that moment in time, his feelings were not motivating him to be praiseworthy or to honor God. He probably wanted to do the opposite. And yet David knew that he was supposed to praise in every situation. So he says to himself, soul, bless the Lord. Flesh, bless the Lord, even though you don't want to right now. Some of you may be there today. You, you don't feel like it. You don't you don't want to. Now, those of you that are parents, maybe you're, you're right in the middle of this right now. Maybe you, you'll have to think back and remember this. But when your kids were toddlers when they were young 
and the battles that we faced with them. I know you faced different battles as teenagers, but remember the, the, the battles of finishing your food, getting out of the bathtub, right? Getting dressed, wh whatever the, the battle was. We, we have these battles with our kids, when they're, especially when they're toddlers and young. I've, I, you know, I'm 61 years old. I've learned some things in life. Two things I've learned. One is we don't negotiate with terrorists. I've learned that. And we don't try to reason with a toddler when they're melting down emotionally. We, we don't try to reason with them. Try to talk them into something. So a couple of weeks ago, we had two of my grandkids from St. Louis up to visit us. My five-year-old grandson, Russell, and my 12-year-old granddaughter, Faith. They came up for a visit, but I took Faith to the daddy-daughter dance. I've, I've never had a daughter or a granddaughter up here during the, that time when I could go with them. So I had a granddaughter to take to this dance. It was wonderful, it was so fun. So we go to the dance, and, and the dance ends around six. We have to drive to Omaha that night to get up really early the next morning to, for them to catch a plane so we could take them home. So it's six o'clock or so when it ends. We don't get home until after seven. And we're packing and trying to get everything ready to hit the road. We don't hit the road till after 8.30. We don't hit the bed until at least midnight to get up at 5 a.m. to get on a plane. Okay. My grandson is how old? Five years old. How, how many hours does Russell normally sleep? 12, you're welcome. He normally sleeps 12 hours. So we, we turn the lights on. The alarm goes off at 5. We turn all the lights on. We're sc scurrying around and getting ready. He's having nothing to do with this. He's screaming, crying. He keeps pulling the covers over his head. He doesn't want the light that's blinding him. And so my wife, who's one of the sweetest women you'll ever meet, and my granddaughter Faith, who's 12 years old, his sister, they're, they're trying to reason with him. They're, they're trying to convince him that it's the right thing to do to go to the bathroom and to get dressed. There is no reasoning with a five-year-old at that point. So I, I, I walked in. I broke up the love fest for, for a minute. Okay? They were in the second stanza of Kumbaya, and I just broke right into the middle of that. Grabbed Russell, walked, carried him into the bathroom, set him on the toilet. I said, you're going to pee now, and you're going to like it. And he's just screaming and crying on the toilet. And I said, when you're done there, we're going to go in there, we're going to change your clothes, and we're going to get ready to go. So he finished, I picked him up, carried him in, set him on the bed screaming, took all of his clothes off, put all of the clothes that he wanted to go on, and then we negotiated. <laughs> then we bribed him to be quiet when we walked through the hotel at 5.30 in the morning. Okay? I'm not, I'm not going to say what we gave him to keep his mouth shut at that point in the morning. Why do we have to do that? He didn't want to do anything we were asking him to do. He didn't feel like it. And you know what? That's what we're like sometimes with praise. We, we just don't feel like it. We don't, we don't want to do that. And David begins this psalm by saying to himself, soul, praise the Lord. Everything that I, you don't want to. You, maybe you're grieving right now. Maybe you're struggling in life right now. Maybe the circumstances of your life are not motivating you toward being thankful or praiseful. But David said, soul, come on, bless the Lord. 
because he knew that's what he needed to do. To be, excuse me, to be honest, friends, if I, if I only praised when I felt like it, I wouldn't praise very often if I didn't make a choice. Number two, praise is not only a choice, praise is a calling. Praise is a calling. In verses 20 to 22, David ends the psalm by saying, praise the Lord, you his angels, mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly host, you his, you, you his servants who do his will. Then he says, praise the Lord, all his works everywhere, that's us. All of his creation in his dominion or everywhere in his kingdom. Praise the Lord, O my soul. David ends the psalm by saying that we are created to praise. That's that's part of the reason God created us was to, to express the praise of God's glory. Isaiah 43 says it a little more specifically. The the wild animals, God says, honor me the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the desert or wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim what? Why did God create them? For praise. That that they might proclaim my my praise. I, I created them, I fashioned them, I formed them to be instruments of praise. Psalm 150, verse 6, David says, let let everything that has breath, everything that's living, do what? Praise the Lord. That's our calling. That's why why we were created. We were created to know God. We were created to love God. And we were created to praise God. So all the earth would know the greatness of God. God has called us to praise Him. We get to the New Testament, and, and the apostle Peter's even more specific. He says, to the, to the church, you are a chosen people by God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you didn't have an identity, now you have an identity. What's your identity? You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. For what purpose? That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's your calling. See, your calling is to declare God's praise. Your calling is to be a praiser so that those around you know that there is a God who exists because you are evidence of that by your praise and worship and adoration of him in high times and in what? And in low times. You become a living testimony that God exists because you praise him no matter what you're going through. And the people in your relational world need to see that. That's your calling. Now, there's a difference between a hobby and a calling, right? So a hobby is an option. You pick your hobbies. Stamp collecting, scrapbooking, tennis, basketball, NASCAR. You, you pick the hobby, right? Now, it's an option for you, but a calling is a duty. There's an expectation attached to a calling. If that's, if that's who you are, then that's what you do. If you are a teacher, then you teach. If you are a contractor, you work construction, that's what you do. 
If you are in the medical field, that's what you do. A hobby brings us pleasure, right? That's why you pick hobbies, because you enjoy doing them. A calling brings others pleasure. Now certainly, we get a certain degree of satisfaction out of doing what we're called to do, using our gifts as God created us. There's no question about that. But for the most part, a calling is about the people that we're called to serve. So if you are in the medical field, you are in that to serve others, to bring healing to other people. If you're a teacher or a coach, you're in that to help people. Your calling isn't primarily for you. Your calling is for someone else, even though you do get some pleasure out of it. A hobby is something that we choose. We get to pick. A calling is something that's chosen for us. When God called you, when God chose you, he determined your purpose. He determined your destiny. He determined your identity in Christ. A hobby is something that we just do when, whenever we want to do it. A calling is something that we are. Can't change it. And so because of who you are, you, you naturally do that. And so praise is a calling. It's not a hobby. But how often do you treat praise more like a hobby? More like something you do when you feel like it. More like something you do when you're in a good mood. More like something that you do uh, because you're choosing to. Sometimes I, I wonder if we come in here like on a Sunday morning and, and as the worship begins, if we're making that choice. Is praise a hobby or is praise a calling? Am I going to engage regardless of how I feel today? Am I going to engage because that's what God created me to do? Am I going to engage because, because God's chosen that for me? Or am I having nothing to do with it? I'm not feeling it today. And God understands because God knows all these things in my life that are keeping me from praise. And God's good with that. Really? The, the, the Bible that I read says, he said that you're a, a royal priesthood. You're, you're to offer sacrifices to God. You're to declare the excellencies of him in the high points of life and in the low points of life. It's your, it's your calling. It's your identity in Christ. It's your destiny in him. Friends, to be honest, if I, again, if I only praised God when I felt like it, I wouldn't praise God all the time. But if I see praise as a calling, not a hobby, that I get to pick and choose and do if I want to do it, but something that God expects because of what he's done in my life, then I'm gonna approach praise a little bit differently. And the third thing is praise is my response to God's grace. Praise is simply my response to God's grace. So let's read again verses two through six. David says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that God does for me. The, the New American Standard Version says, and don't forget God's benefits. May I never forget the good things that God does for me or forget his benefits. He forg and then he lists them. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all 
who are treated unfairly. David is talking about the benefits of grace. The benefits that we receive as a result of simply being in a covenant relationship with God. You didn't do anything to earn them. You don't deserve them. You didn't pay for them. Jesus did. So when I was just out of seminary, kind of in between ministry and stuff, I, I worked for a company and I sold life insurance to people that were members of, the, of unions. So we had a partnership with this company and we would go to these union members and we would explain to them that because our company has a partnership with your company, these are the benefits that are available to you. And we'd go through and we'd list the benefits. Now as a union member, they had a really small life insurance policy, like barely enough to pay for a funeral. And so our, our motivation was going to these families and telling them all the benefits, but then trying to sell them a bigger life insurance policy, right? That, that's how we made our money. But we started by saying, you know what? Take advantage of this. This is a benefit that you have of being part of this, this partnership. And we, we go through all of the things and they're at no cost to you. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is cash in on them. And in this psalm, it's as though David is, is coming to us like union members, members of the family of God, the people of God, and saying, I want you to know the benefits that you have, not because you perform well, not, not because you earn this or deserve this, but strictly on the basis of his grace. These are the benefits of God, the benefits of covenant relationship. These are what God offers you just for being part of his people. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it. I want you to see that, that all of these benefits that David lists are in the present tense. You don't have to put, put them up there yet, but he, he, forgive, he forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He, um, you don't have to put them up yet, that's okay, hold off. Um, he uh, redeems my life from the destruction, from the pit. He crowns me with love and mercy. He, he fills my life with good. All, all of them are in the present tense. Now, David, David could have been looking back on his life because he wrote this late in life. And when he says he forgives all my sins, he could have been thinking about that moment with Bathsheba and that moment when he murdered her husband and thinking, wow, God forgave me when I did that. But he didn't say that. He didn't say God forgave me. He said, God forgives me. He could have looked back on a moment in time when God healed him. And he could have said, yeah, 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 I went back in 1922 when God did that in my life. No, he wasn't looking back and just saying, when? He says, right now, God heals my diseases. He didn't say there was a few points in time when God filled my life with good things. He says, no, he fills my life with good things right now. Every one of those are in the present tense. In other words, as Christians, as we are in Christ, we live under a canopy or under a banner of grace right now. Real time, you live under this canopy of his benefits of grace. They are, they are accessible to you right now. As David walks through them, he, he's not like saying, yeah, God was good. He's saying God is good right now. How can we praise God in every circumstance? Because we know that God was not only that then, but God never changes. 
And what God was then, He'll be now. I have confidence that God hasn't changed. I live under a canopy of His blessing of grace in my life. So He forgives all of my sin. Those deepest, darkest moments of shame and disappointment in my life, in that moment He forgives me and cleans the slate. He heals all of my diseases. Can I encourage you not to look at that verse, he heals all of my diseases, through the lens of your experience? Because all of our experience is God doesn't heal everyone. Let me encourage you to look at that verse, he heals all of my diseases, not through the lens of your experience, but through the lens of God's truth for a moment. David says that because God is a healer. Because the very nature of God is restorative and He's a, a healer. Right, right now, regardless of what you're going through, God is in the process of restoration emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and even physically in our lives. There's going to come a point that we die in life. I get that. But up until then, the Lord's a healer. In the same way that you would press into God with confidence to forgive all of your sins, if you've got physical or emotional or, or mental issues, press into Him in the same way that He'd be your healer because he doesn't change. He heals all of my diseases. He protects me from destruction. He delivers me from darkness. When I'm most afraid that my life's going to be destroyed, it's in that moment that God protects. His protection is around you now, not just, man, he saved me from Saul 30 years ago. No, right now, I'm confident that he delivers me from destruction. He crowns me with love and mercy. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Whenever I need a second chance, I have it because of his mercy that's new every morning. He fills my life with good things. I don't know if you feel like there's nothing good in your life right now, but right now, David says, he fills your life now with good. Even if you can't see it, he's working it. Trust him. Press into the God who's good today. God renews my youth like the eagle. Come on, that's what I'm claiming right now. I'm 61 years old breaking down a little bit physically. Eagles soar, friends. I'm ready to soar even in my old... Go back and look in the Psalms of what David says about his old age. He said, I'm like a tree bearing fruit, man, green and virile, not changing. I'm claiming that one. God works justice if I'm treated unfairly. Are you being treated unfairly right now? Do you need justice? David didn't just say, man, there was this time when God, he showed me his justice, but... He does it right now. You live, friends, under the canopy of His grace. How can you not praise Him? How can you not praise that God who is in real time working for your good to restore your life? Would you stand with me this morning? So we're going to take a moment and we're going to praise Him. And I'm going to ask you to do three things as we sing this. I'm going to ask you to make a choice. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what's going on in your life, choose praise in this moment. I'm going to ask you to step into your calling. I'm going to ask you to be who God chose you to be. I'm going to ask you to act in the same way that God says that you are. You are a praiser, declaring the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His light. And I'm going to ask you right now to consider the benefits of grace. What is it about that psalm and the nature of God that you need today? Worship Him because that's who He is 
And that's what he's doing in your life right now.